0: This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Well, I'm excited to wrap up the book of Colossians with you guys tonight. It's been a fun trip. It opened with Paul and his prayers for the Colossians and how he wanted them to grow in the knowledge of God. Then he unpacks the preeminence of of Christ and who Jesus is. And he rolls into what it means to be a believer, to be in Christ. To die with him, to be buried with him and be resurrected by him spiritually. And then the last couple weeks he got really practical. This is how being a new believer comes home. This is how a new believer goes to work, and tonight he's closing, and what he's going to do is he's going to give us some final thoughts that we're supposed to be Christians in prayer, and we're supposed to be salty, and then he's going to give us a snapshot, a group photo of the people that he's with, and his letter is going to go from theological and practical to personal. Colossians chapter 4 we're going to start in verse 2. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 4. We're going to jump into verse 2. A wise man once said, I rarely pray longer than 10 minutes, but I rarely go 10 minutes without praying. He walked in a lifestyle of prayer. Colossians chapter 2 or chapter 4 verse 2. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so he is, as at the beginning of the book, laid out the way he's praying for them. And now Paul is getting specific and saying, this is how I'd like you to pray for me. One of the greatest speakers and greatest leaders and one of the most bold men about the gospel of all time is saying, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I stay bold? Would you pray that I speak clearly? Would you pray that God opens doors for us to preach on his behalf? What a humble view of Paul to see him asking for prayer. And it also teaches us that it's God that opens doors. There is no great speech that we can give. There's no way that we can convince somebody. If God is not opening the doors, if he is not pulling back the veil, if he isn't opening people's eyes, then we're we're not going to make a connection. It is up to God and God alone to do the work. And he calls it the mystery of Christ. And we talked about this a couple months ago, that this isn't the idea of a mystery, of something that's never known. It's the idea of something that has been revealed. Jesus Christ is the answer to the mystery. The mystery was, how will God save his people? When will he save his people? By whom will he save his people? And then, Christ was born. Christ lived. Christ died. And Christ rose from the grave. Man, it's so exciting. And we, we should be people of constant prayer. We need to remember, I like how he asked for them to pray for him. We need to remember the pastors in our lives. Those of you that go to Living Word Church, we need to pray for Pastor Ben often. We need to pray for the pastors and the elders on staff. They are regularly serving the Lord in difficult situations, having to make wise decisions, having to, to weigh out this or that. They're having counseling sessions with people going through difficulties that we have a hard time understanding. So we need to pray for our pastors And lift them up to the Lord often. And then he says, and he gets practical again for us. Colossians chapter four. Let's go to verse five together. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward unbelievers, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul's assuming that we spend a majority of our week around people that don't love the Lord, around people whose lives aren't serving Jesus. And he's saying, be intentional, be wise, be strategic, be engaged with the world around us. God's people should make their environments better. Look what he says. He says, always be gracious, seasoned with salt. This goes back to Matthew chapter five, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Christians, you're salt. What does it mean to be a salty Christian? This doesn't mean you have bad humor. To be a salty Christian means people love to be around God's people. Whenever a Christian speaks, they speak with grace and encouragement and affirmation. They speak with truth and with clarity. They're fun to be around because they're the person in the room you trust the most. They're fun to be around because they're the person in the room that has joy, joy, because they're the person in the room that has peace and hope. And they're kind, even whenever they shouldn't be. They're the person in the room that if you say or do something wrong, they're quick to forgive and they want to reconcile. Whenever an employee, whenever your family, whenever friends at school, when the teachers, if they were to divide your class, if they were to divide the group and say, here's the people we want to be around the most. That one, that one, that one, that one, then that one. God should look down and go, Those are my people because Christians bring flavor to the environments that they're in. They're a different cut than everyone else because they have been reborn in Christ. They have God's attributes about them. They love people. They love the people that everyone else doesn't want to love because they're in Christ. Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt. And then he talks about how you knowing how to answer each person. God's people need to be able to speak with grace. We may not always be preaching about Christ, but we ought to be living as Christ. Our words ought to reflect him. So what do you bring to your environment? Maybe you're the one in the room that's the funny one. Or you're the one that's always pushing the boundaries and being rebellious. Maybe you're the corner cutter. Maybe you're the hardworking one. Maybe you're the one with the most information on the latest Marvel movie. Maybe you're the leader. Maybe you're the complainer. Maybe you're the one that's always got the latest gossip. Who are you in the room? What would others say about you? Would they say that you're the salt of the room? That you reflect Christ's attributes? From this, Paul is going to shift to his closing. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna turn around and take a group shot of everyone that's with him. These are the unsung heroes of the church. These are the people that have supported Paul, kept him alive, literally, (laughs) provided for him in prison. These are the people that he's surrounded with who have been with him through thick and thin. Does anyone in here kind of have a, a posse? People that, like, these are the people that I hang around the most, that I trust the most, we have the most kinds of memories. You, know, you can just like, "Yes, I have people in my life. These are my people. When I think of this kind of group photo, I think of my groomsman when I got married. This was a motley assortment of individuals. I had, like this streetwise Philadelphia guy. I had the redneck. I had the six-foot six, six car-crazy individual. Um, I had the quiet, artsy person from Louisiana. I had the computer engineer from Oklahoma. And like we were a weird group. And these are the guys that poured into my life. And and I poured into them. And we had crazy memories together. We were inseparable. Who's your posse? Do you have a group like that? Because Paul's going to turn around and he's going to present these eight guys. These are the people that have meant the most in the world to him. And right here in this group, we have the servant leader, The prodigal slave, a steadfast companion, a man with a second chance, an unknown man, a church planter, a doctor, and a man with a sad future. You guys ready to go? So let's take a look. So, always be gracious, season with salt. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. Now, if you want to pronounce his name right, it goes like this. Tychicus. Tychicus, so if you want to go for that, go for that, but I'm not doing it any more than that one time. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Wow, can you have more high praise from Paul? A beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus has been with Paul for about four years and he has been with Paul surviving a plot from the Jews to murder him. He was present when Paul was in his court trials before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. He was shipwrecked with Paul. Tychicus, however, is more than just a silent partner. At one time, whenever Titus was having to leave his church, Paul needed to fill that role as a pastor and he sent Tychicus as a stand-in. And another time, as Paul is nearing his death, he wanted his spiritual son, Timothy, to be near him. And so he wrote a letter to Timothy saying, come, except Timothy was a pastor. So he had Tychicus fill in for Timothy as well. So he was more than just like this sidekick. He was also a leader. He was more than a servant to Paul. He was a servant leader. Tychicus was the one who traveled to Rome, or traveled from Paul, delivering this letter of the Colossians. Tychicus would deliver Ephesians, he would deliver Colossians, and he would deliver Philemon. So this cat was traveling, and he had a very important job. Think about this for a minute, though. He crossed seas and lands, walking and boating and riding, carrying the letters of the New Testament. He had in his bag... God's very word, that when delivered to these churches, we're going to revolutionize their churches, that we're going to lead people to Christ and disciple the believers there. Had Tychicus failed in his job, we would not have three books of the Bible. He had a very important role. It is a weighty calling to carry God's word and elevate men and women of God, you carry God's word in your heart. It's our responsibility to hide it in our hearts, to be memorizing this thing, and for it at any moment, as we're being salt in different atmospheres, that God's word is ever-present for us to share. We are the carriers of the most sacred words ever written because they're God's word. So Tychicus, Tychicus is also traveling with, verse uh, 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and may encourage you. In verse 9, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. If you are here a couple weeks ago, you know Onesimus has some backstory. He is not only one of them, he is a runaway. Onesimus was a runaway slave from Philemon. But this isn't like Onesimus was like this hard-pressed, sad guy from this bad, mean like, owner. Onesimus was a terrible servant who was, at, in his own words, worthless to his owner. And he stole from Philemon and ran off to Rome, one of the most populated cities in the world, to try to disappear. And somehow in God's providence, Onesimus finds Christ. And it revolutionizes his life. And he encounters Paul, and Paul disciples Onesimus to the point that Paul says, he is to me, valuable to me like a son, except Onesimus needed to reconcile. He was a man in sin and in rebellion. And Paul sent him with Tychicus home. And so Tychicus is, is bringing home more than just a letter to the Colossians, but actually arm in arm with Onesimus, who is doing what he can to do what's right to go and apologize to Philemon. And Paul wrote the book of Philemon to actually ask if Onesimus would be released to go back to Paul because he was helpful to him. Onesimus is a great example to us that when a person comes to faith, no matter what their background is, they are a new creation. They are free from their past. Onesimus may have been a defiant slave when he ran away, but he's returning as a Christian member of the family. There is hope for every sinner. So who in your life is difficult? Who in your life is the one that you're like, yeah, that person has no chance? Maybe it's time that our lives start receiving some salt and some love and some Christian influence by someone that's willing to love the hard to love. Begin to pray for that person. Begin to pray for them every day and watch how the Lord changes your heart for them. Verse 10, Aristarchus My fellow prisoner greets you. Oh, man, this guy is kind of interesting. Aristarchus is the faithful companion. He is from Thessalonica, and he's been traveling with Paul for a long time. He was with Paul when a riot broke out against him. In fact, Aristarchus was grabbed and drugged into the theater there with Paul and threatened to be killed. He was there in Greece when a plot broke out against Paul, and they only escaped because they jumped on a ship in time. And he was there when Eutychus, the kid, fell asleep during one of Paul's sermons and fell out of the window. And and Aristarchus saw Paul raise him from the dead. Makes me feel a little bit better when y'all fall asleep on me. I know who you are. Aristarchus watched Paul go down and raise his kid from the dead. And when Paul was imprisoned, even though Aristarchus could have been free, he chose to live a prison life to serve Paul. You see, in a Roman prison... They didn't serve prisoners food. They weren't like, hey, turn on the TV and we'll give you a walk in the yard. No. In Roman prison, you survived if family members or friends brought food to you so you could survive. And so some of these people around Paul, just like Aristarchus, are keeping him alive. Aristarchus was even a prisoner on the boat with Paul when he was shipwrecked, and he would remain his companion to the end. Here's a question for you Who is the Aristarchus in your life? Who's that friend? that's going to stick with you in the long run. And who are you and Aristarchus too? I think it would be really cool if you identified who that person was and you wrote him a text message tonight just telling him how much you appreciated them. So we have Aristarchus in verse 10. My fellow prisoner greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. May mark you do not expect to be in this list. He's got backstory too. Mark is also known as John Mark. And he had a very different experience in ministry than Tychicus and Aristarchus. Actually, it's really shocking he's in this list. Because, like I mentioned, he was Barnabas's nephew when Paul went on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. They were like companions, co-missionaries together. Barnabas drug along Mark, his nephew. And right in the middle of their missionary journey, Mark got cold feet. When things got hard, Mark quit. And he bailed on them and went home. He went crying home to mom. And whenever they got home and they decided to go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas is like, hey, I want to bring my nephew again. And Paul goes, "Uh uh-uh, I don't trust that kid. He's not going to, I don't trust him. I don't think he'll stick with us. I don't trust him to be faithful whenever things get difficult. And so Paul and Barnabas had a big argument. In fact, it was so sharp that they ended up splitting and going separate ways and going on two entirely different missionary journeys. Barnabas took Mark and went, and Paul recruited Silas and went back and revisited the churches from the first missionary journey. So Paul and Mark, not on good terms at that point. But after Barnabas, after he spent time with Barnabas, who was a kind-hearted missionary... Mark also went and spent time with Peter and was discipled by Peter. So much so that Mark, who spoke and wrote in Greek, became Peter's scribe and secretary. And after being trained and discipled by Peter, after sitting down and working with Peter, in fact, he wrote for Peter, Peter's account of Jesus Christ. And we call it the Gospel of Mark. Peter's account of Jesus Now, from working with Peter, at some point along the way, Paul and Mark reconciled to the point that at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul says, please, if you get a chance, send Mark to me. He's helpful for me in the ministry. Mark, who starts off as the scaredy cat and bails on them, has a reconciliation with Paul and becomes one of Paul's most faithful sidekicks. And here he is in this snapshot. I think Mark helps us remember that we're not stuck, that God's not done with us yet, that even with our failures and our mistakes, elevate, pay attention right now, even with our failures and mistakes, God is going to get us where he wants us to be, when he wants us to be there, and we will be who he wants us to be when we arrive. And Mark is a testimony to that. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And jump to verse 11. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus is also the name Joshua. These are the only men of the circumcision among whom my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Aristarchus, Mark, and now this man named Justice. Justice is an unknown character in the Bible. This is the only place his name turns up. Paul includes him still in a very important list, a list of only three men, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice. And he calls him one of the circumcision. He's meaning that he is one of the Jews. You see, Paul's first ministry, his heart, was to his own people, the Israelites. And he took Jesus to the Israelites, and he would go and minister in synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. And some Jews would turn and give their lives to the Lord, but most of them rejected Jesus. And whenever they rejected Christ, Paul felt a call to leave ministering to Israelites and go and begin to preach to non Jews, to the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans. And it broke Paul's heart. There was one time in the book of Romans that he says, if I could trade places, if I could be accursed so that my brothers could go to heaven, could know Christ, then I would trade places with them. That's how much Paul hurt for his own people. Is there anyone in your life that you would say, I would trade with them and go to hell on their behalf? That's a big statement. But that's how much Paul hurt for his people. So now Paul going to the Gentiles has three remaining Jews of his own, that are still with him. And right here, justice is one of them. It's beautiful that justice is mentioned. It reminds us that, you know, most of us know stories about King David, but we don't know or don't remember a lot of the critical moments of Jonathan in David's life that he wouldn't have lived without. Most of us have heard the name Helen Keller, but we forget the name Ann Sullivan. Some of you guys, because you've been with me for a while, have heard of Charles Spurgeon. But the name of the man who was a stand-in preacher the night that Spurgeon found his way in a doorway to get out of the elements of the weather, who preached and Spurgeon gave his heart to the Lord, that man's name is totally unknown. Right here, justice is a reminder to us That God's kingdom, Jesus' message and his gospel moves forward most of the time, not through great acts of great people, but in the faithfulness of those whose names we may never know. Most of us may never write a bestseller. Most of us may not start a, a Christian world relief mission. Most of us will never be known outside of our families and friends. And yet justice stands as an example that God's kingdom moves forward simply by our faithfulness right where he puts us. We don't have to travel out there to serve Christ. We just need to be where he places us. Be faithful right where you are. And the Lord can use you right there in your world. Justice, these are the men, only the men, of the circumcision among my fellow workers, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras, you have heard of him. If you've been here over the last couple months, Our first message was all about Epaphras. This guy is cool. He is the planter of three different churches, including the church planter of the Colossian church that Paul is writing to, and he was the pastor. It was Epaphras that whenever he saw false teaching begin to creep in to the church of Colossae, he traveled from Colossae all the way to Rome to bring the problem to Paul to ask for help. What stands out about Epaphras in these verses, is his deep love for the church, and it's reflected in his steadfast prayer. Look at this again. It says that he was always struggling on your, on your behalf, struggling in his prayers that you may stand mature. Though he was currently far away from the people that he loved, he still fulfilled the role of pastor because he continued to minister through interceding prayer. Interceding prayer is simply when you pray for someone else. When you're bringing their needs before the Lord and not just praying for your own needs. And he struggled, he labored earnestly. The word here is is agonizema. Agonizema, anyway. We get the word agonized. He agonized in prayer for them. And look at the content of his prayers. That they would stand mature. Mature meaning perfect fully developed, complete, that they would stand mature and fully assured, persuaded, satisfied, fully assured in all the will of God. What is he praying? He's praying that they would confidently know the will of God and stand steady in it. This is just like Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Back in Colossians 1, verse 9, it says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, They're wanting them to walk in the will of God. And that is only from knowing God's word and knowing how to apply God's word. Epaphras didn't sit by and tolerate false teaching. When heresy crept into the church, Epaphras did something about it. You know, for a brief time in Destin, Florida, there was a flesh-eating bacteria announced to be in our water. I didn't care. But a lot of people were really, really stressed about it. A lot of people started buying only and drinking only bottled water. There were people that stopped showering and taking baths for a time because they were so afraid that this flesh-eating bacteria was going to eat off their face or something. You know, I've heard it said that at many points in Christian history, the two enemies were persecution and false teaching about who Jesus was and that Christians would go to their death as martyrs because they weren't afraid of persecution. But how much different is it today? You see, back then, they weren't afraid of persecution because they knew, they knew they were secure in Christ. They knew that heaven waited for them, and they knew that persecution couldn't ultimately defeat them. But how different is it today? Today, we're not very afraid of false teaching I wish we would be. I wish we'd be afraid of false teaching the way so many people were about flesh-eating bacteria in the water, about COVID, where everyone's freaking out, washing their hands way too much and, and afraid of their own family members. We need to be resistant and on guard against false teaching and heresy in the church. So many of us aren't very afraid of false teaching, but we are terrified of being persecuted. What a reversal. Someone might make fun of us. Someone might think we're weird in our atmosphere. And yet, people preaching the opposite of what the Bible says are in pulpits and on YouTube every week, constantly. Are you equipped? And are you paying attention to what you're listening to, the songs you're absorbing, the sermons you're hearing, the podcasts you're listening to? There was a group of of people in the the book of Acts called the Bereans. And what was known about the Bereans is that, that they would sit with the scriptures as they were being preached to and they would verify everything that was said. How cautious are you when you sit under a sermon? Maybe we should be men and women of God that have our Bibles open on Sunday mornings. I think it would honor our teachers that we followed them, that we dug in with them. And you know what? It would equip us to be prepared to be resistant and resilient against false teaching. Number seven, so we have, we have our boy Epaphras. Then Colossians chapter four, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician greets you. Oh man, Luke is quite a story. Luke has been Paul's personal physician, and Paul needed it. He was always getting beaten with rods and stoned and whipped. And This poor guy. He had his own personal physician traveling with him, and that was Luke. And Luke was also his disciple and became probably one of his very closest friends, a lifelong friend. Luke proved to be unflappable traveling with Paul. Nothing seemed to faze him. He was with him through his two-year imprisonment in Caesarea, He was with him through his hard travels. He was with him through his two-year imprisonment in Rome, and their friendship would last the rest of Paul's life. Luke was a highly educated Greek doctor. And after becoming a convert, he gave up the wealth and prestige of being a doctor and entered the mission field as an evangelist. Luke sat down to write an orderly account of Jesus' life. He interviewed the apostles They often frequented Ephesus. You know who else lived in Ephesus? Mary. John. Have you ever read the book of Luke and realized that it's a lot more about Mary's story at the beginning? And Matthew is about Joseph's story? Luke knew Mary. And so Luke sits down to write an quote-unquote orderly account of what went down with Jesus. Then, He continues on the story and writes about the the history of the early church. He gives first-hand stories about what went down with Paul. He writes about the Council of Jerusalem. In fact, both Christian and non-Christian scholars and historians consider Luke one of the greatest historians of the ancient world. He wrote the book, book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. He is called, by historians, a historian among the first rank. In fact, Luke was a non Jew who wrote wrote more volume in the New Testament than even Paul. He was Paul's companion through thick and thin. I think Luke teaches us that not everyone in ministry is a pastor or an evangelist or a teacher, that all of God's people are ministers as waitresses, welders, secretaries, teachers cashiers, nurses, every other profession. God calls all his people to be evangelists with the talents he's given them in the place that He he's put them. God can use your skill set right where you are. A couple of the people that we know right here in the church, if you know Bill Bolton, you know a great man. Bill Bolton is an evangelist as a mechanic. If you know Jacques Duplanis, he's an evangelist. As a social worker, my man Brian, Shane, your leaders in here, ask them questions. They're evangelists right where they are without having to have a microphone every Wednesday. And finally, the man with a sad future. And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. No description. Demas has been with Paul during two imprisonments, but his faithfulness is gonna run out. He's gonna leave Paul, as one commentator says, in a lurch. Second Timothy four, nine through twelve, this is fun to look at. Let's go to Second Timothy nine, or Second Timothy four, verse nine. Keep your thumb in Colossians, we're going back. Second Timothy chapter four, verse nine. It's close to Hebrews and go backwards. Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And what's fun is reading on from there because you start reading about some really familiar names that we just talked about. Demas didn't abandon Paul because of his cowardice. It says that he was in love with this present world. Jesus tells this story about these four soils. Remember this? Some seed fell on the path. It was trampled underfoot and birds ate it up. Some other seed fell among rocks and it grew really fast. But then whenever things got hard, it sort of fell over because it had no roots. Some seed fell into fertile soil and it grew and, and bore, had roots and bore fruit. But then he talks about this one, about seed falling among thorns. And it grows up together with the thorns and the thorns choke it out. And listen to how Jesus describes what this is. Matthew 13, 22, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This was Demas. His faithfulness held out until something better came along, something more enjoyable, something safer, something more profitable, and he headed out. It's interesting. Jesus had two traitors, Judas and Peter, and Peter was restored. And Paul had two deserters, Mark and Demas, and Mark was restored. A lot of Christian teenagers come through the youth groups that Jackie and I have been a part of. And there's something interesting that happens because when they get their first job, it's almost like a test. They get their car, they get their first job. What hours are you gonna work? I wanna work all that I can to make all the money I can. And suddenly... We don't see them anymore. I mean, yeah, they, they, they come to like maybe major events. We keep in touch with them on social media, and they just why? It, what, there wasn't a conscious decision. I am giving up Jesus. I'm giving up youth group and giving up being under a spiritual authority. No, that, that was never made. It was the slow fade. Wait, wait. I can work some extra hours. I, I got to pay my insurance. I, I can I can chase this sport because I, I need to get this scholarship. I can need to, and and all these things line up until it's one. Slow compromise after another. And that's what happened to Demas. I don't think Demas said, Paul, I'm out of here. I don't like you anymore. It was probably one small priority that became a bigger priority. And what was most important got buried. So, what's a priority in your life that's always trying to pull your dedication away from the Lord? What is that thing? Be cautious. And then Paul gives his closing admonitions. Verse 15 Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So he's just greeting people back home. It's interesting that he wants this letter to be moved around. It's not just for the Colossians, it's going to get passed around through all the churches. And there seems to be this low key letter from the Laodiceans. And scholars have no idea. Is this a missing letter of Paul? Kind of fun to think about. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I have the pleasure to be married to a wonderful woman, my wife Jacqueline. One of the, yeah, yeah, she's totally, She's great. One of the things that I learned about her whenever we started dating was I got to meet her really cool sister, Amber. Now, Amber had been homeschooled for like ever. And God put it on her heart that God was calling her to be a missionary. And if so, what did that mean? And Amber made a conscious decision to leave the safety of homeschool and go to, where school did she go to? Terrebonne for the last couple years of her high school career. And she went to Terrebonne, not with the intention of great academics, but she went because she wanted to start a Christian club and she wanted to be a light wherever she went. And every day when she walked into the school hallways, she wasn't there because she wanted to be popular. And she wasn't there to try to make the grades and she wasn't there because she wanted to fit in. Every day when she stepped onto school campus, she remembered, this is why I'm here. I am a missionary. I am an evangelist right here. In this room, we have... There are siblings represented that God is calling you to disciple. In this room, there are people to be fed that he's calling you to feed. There are neighbors to be met that he's calling you guys and me to meet. There's family members to be reconciled and friends waiting to hear the gospel. Elevate, stop playing, it's safe. What is the Lord pressing on your heart to do? And I'd like to leave you With Paul's encouragement to Archippus in verse 17, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received. What is God calling you to do? Start praying about how he's calling you to fulfill it. And remember, it's God's job to open the door. It's our job to simply be faithful. So we have the servant leader, the prodigal slave, the steadfast companion, the man with a second chance, the unknown man, the church planter, the doctor, and the man with a sad future. A recap, prayer should be a constant practice for Christians. Christians should be the most encouraging people to be around. And there's a lot that we can learn from Paul's team. Keep God's word in our heart. There's hope for everyone. Be a faithful friend. Embrace mentorship. Be faithful right where God puts us. Be equipped and alert to spot false teaching. Use our talents for the Lord. And don't give in to small compromises. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men and women of God. Lead us, guide us. May we be filled with your word and led by your Holy Spirit to be salt and light in every atmosphere that you place us in. Bless the small groups, bless the small group leaders. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.